The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The most important thing about your business could be how your products are packaged. Packaging is the signature that you leave everywhere, and it speaks volumes about who you are and what you do. This is Ditch the Box with David Marinak. In today's show, we'll talk about marketing, increased sales, and how it relates to product packaging. Have you explored alternatives like flexible packaging? You should. It can save your company a bundle. Now, here is David Marinak. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ditch the Box, the marketing slash flexible retail packaging slash how to build your brand radio show. I'm David Marinak, your host. As you know, our show is about marketing and flexible retail packaging with a few other related topics in between, such as how to build your brand, dealing with major retailers and even supply chain. Today's guest is Deborah Myers of Infusia Blends for Body. Like we do with all our guests, we first want to learn about her background, how she got to where she is today, what makes her tick. So let me tell you a little bit about Deborah. Deborah had a corporate life. It was rewarding and most important, she met so many amazing people that taught her how to compete. She had to fight to get her ideas heard. She learned that not all good ideas are home runs. In fact, they often are strikeouts. She achieved high levels of success by learning to work with teams and by helping others achieve their goals. If you can help others achieve their goals, often they in turn will help you. For years, Deborah had a double life. She worked 40 to 60 hours a week consulting and doing complex project management while pursuing her dreams of owning her own company. She wanted to control her own life. It was never easy, and in fact, it's harder now than ever. The larger her company gets, the more pressure she feels to succeed. It reminds her a lot of every boss she ever had. What have you done for me today? This is the question she asks herself about her efforts. It's a crazy, relentless pursuit of business. It's this ongoing desire to succeed where so many fail. Today's her own company is going strong, and they're very profitable, but that wasn't always the case. Deborah is constantly reminded of the cliche, reduce costs and sell more. In fact, It's funny how volume covers lots of mistakes. She spent many years in the manufacturing, and she's seen it so many times. The key to manufacture in a way that is efficient all the time so you can experience the profit windfalls that come from time to time. Deborah is fortunate to have several clients who have continued to ask her to consult with them on special projects. It keeps her sharp, and it's fun. She loves brainstorming with other brand owners, and she's fortunate to be able to share her knowledge and to be a cheerleader for those who have a dream. Now, nothing happens without a dream. So Deborah's message for all of us is dream big. Deborah Myers, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Glad to be with you. This is going to be this is going to be great cuz I, I you know what it's it's fun for us to kind of talk and I cuz just even reading your bio there's so much synergy there between you know just going for your dreams, dreaming big, Putting it out there. I mean, you're totally you're living it, and and I and I know our, a lot of our listeners will be excited to hear kind of how you got there. You know what I mean? Absolutely, and I'm looking forward to sharing, of course, all the information I have, and ask any question you'd like. I'm not 
bashful or afraid, especially <laughs> to fa- share my failures. Oh, and I'm with you. And so much of what we what we learn um, does come from failure. I mean, you know, success. You know, it, it's so often where people just think that you click your fingers and everybody rolls out of bed and has a, has a successful business. But you and I both know um, that that's far from the truth. We, you know, you have to fail in order to succeed. And it's, you know, and, and you, only when you can kind of, um, you know, gratefully accept those failures as learning uh, and stepping stones, then, then, then do you really get to the next level. You know, it's interesting, I believe, about failure in general is that it gives you resilience. A lot of what we learn, not just in business, but certainly playing sports or going through school or just living life, has to do with our failures. And I believe the reason why we connect with people is very rarely through our success. Yes, I've been successful, and it's afforded me a lot of awesome opportunities. But really, when you start peeling back the onion you realize those opportunities came out of failure in some way. And and what I mean by that is, had I not grown probably disenfranchised with corporate America, which is a failure, I would have never probably pursued my dream with the grit that I do every day. Right. Now, do you think, and it's interesting, that, and I love where we're going here, because so many people, and I don't know about you, but so it, it seems like, then why is it, Deborah, that so many people don't want to talk about their failures? Um, they want to tell everybody about they have 17 houses and 37 jets and things like that, but it, it's so rare do we hear of or even read a book where somebody just kind of is an open book and basically says, it's the failures that made that person. It's the failure that made um, us into who we are. And, and why do you think it is that so many people just are afraid or do, are they afraid of going back to, the, you know, I, I don't know what it is. But so few people talk about failures, and I find that very interesting. I call it the tyranny of perfect. And what I mean by that is we kind of live in a, especially a culture today, where Everything has to look a certain way. We have to act a certain way. We have to be a certain way. And failure is not part of that communication. Right. And I'm lucky enough that I'm of an age that I remember a life before the Internet. And I remember a life before my smartphone, which, you know, it's smarter than I am. Me too. And because of that, I believe that I'm operating on a different level. And what I mean by that is... I judge myself less by what others think of me, and I judge myself more about I know what my expectation level is of myself. Am I operating with integrity? Is it something my parents would be proud of? I mean, I'm almost 50 years old, but yes, I want my parents to be proud of me. You know, am I representing God the way I'm supposed to, you know, I look at things just in a completely different way than most people in general. And I believe that's what has gotten me this far because I'm not judging my Instagram account. It's it's so refreshing because that's that's a lot of where I that that's where I come from as well, and I don't want to take away from your interview and our time together, but I I totally connect with you on that because um, 
everybody's looking for a shortcut. Everybody's trying to keep up with the Joneses. Everybody thinks that there's some magic bullet that you just click your fingers and it's so easy. Um, but really at the core of this is our own personal integrity. And do we really feel that um, um, we are reflecting our parents well and that we are reflecting our, our upbringing? And, you know, it's being able to stand up for ourselves at the end of the day and look at ourselves in the mirror and say, you know what? Um, I'm doing the right thing. I'm giving this all I got. And that's when the breaks happen. It's it's when these other people are, you know, or others that are looking to, you know, for a shortcut or some sort of a, you know, a quick, quick uh, get rich scheme things that, that they end up with the uh, the burning bridges, if you ask, if you ask me. You know, you know, the other interesting thing is um, I'm constantly trying to learn and I always go to, you know, leadership classes and conferences and, you know, I'm just one, I'm a chronic learner. And one of the things I think that is so understated is the importance of our integrity. And people know when, number one, if I say something, I mean it. If my company says something, it means it. And that's, and what I mean by that is we just even had a situation where a customer had called in an order, the price was quoted incorrectly, and our customer service manager said, well, I'm just going to call a customer back and tell them we can't do it for that. And I said, no, ma'am. Right. What we're going to do is we're going to honor our word, and then we're going to tell the customer at the same time, now, next time you place your order, please know it's going to be at the higher price. Because when you give us your order and we take that order, that's my word. That's my invisible handshake. Sure. And every person that works for me, those are all my hands out there. Right. And if you've shook someone, if you shook someone's hand, that means something. So I think that that, your integrity is just so important. And it's, it's the brand. When people buy Infusia and they buy any product and it says it's handmade, it's handmade. Or if it says it's hand-blended, it was hand-blended. You know, that, those things mean something, and it's important. It, now, do you, it, do you think, no, that's not do you think. How are uh, the others in your industry? Um, would most other companies, and I, I bet you I know where you're going here, but I just wanted to kind of throw that out there for your benefit. Would most other companies um, honor that price, or would most companies say, you know, sorry, Sally, but um, it's actually seventeen ninety five, not 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 seven ninety five? Yeah, I believe that. Uh, I mean, a lot of my competitors, you know, I've been the benefactor of the fact that my competitors have not been as scrupulous as they should have been, right? Or they have done things that just, you know, yes, I. You know, for example, someone sends in a purchase order, and it's for a 1,000 cases of bath bombs. And right. we know this particular or customer, in, in their wildest dreams, is not going to order a 1,000 cases of bath bombs. My people are trained to call the customer and go, I noticed that you ordered a 1,000 cases of bath bombs. In your order history, the most you've ever ordered is 100. Right. Did you really mean to order a 1,000? Right. 99% of the time... Our competition will send whatever the PO says, and you're going to eat it. Oh, it's yeah. not their fault that you ordered it wrong. That's right. We, on the other hand, are like, wait a minute. I don't want my customer drowning in bath bombs that they don't need. Let's right. just make a phone call and make sure. It, it takes you know, no time to do the right thing. The problem is, is most companies 
are just trying to get that dollar or that, Correct. you know, that magic prize at the end. Yep. And for us, this is a long-term relationship. I'm not interested in a fling with you as a customer. I want right. a relationship. And when right. you want a relationship with a customer, you treat them differently. And when you have a bigger picture in mind, just like you're saying, I mean, it it it, it kind of goes all the way into the core because I hear it in your voice. It's it's at a, it's it's at the foundation of your business. This is who we are, and you know, you're not looking for that that final dollar. You're looking for that that long term relationship where the client uh, obviously benefits, but you also benefit in a long term relationship and ho- hopefully make a couple of bucks along the way. And in um, so many people, and I don't care whether you're in or they're in your business or my industry or whatever, the majority of companies out there just are looking for that 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 one hit. Oh, hey, wait a minute. We're going to take that and we're going to run with a thousand cases. Let's go with it. Ship it. Look at me. And um, and props to you guys. I mean, that's not easy to, easy to do, but it's part of your culture. It's, it is part of our culture. And you know, it's interesting. So my husband is our chief financial officer. We call him the money man. We are right. a company of no titles, by the way. As you know, I'm the big cheese. But yeah. that is kind of my real <laughs> title. We, we just, we're not into all the corporate kind of structure. Right. But my husband says a lot. He says, look, <clears throat> the, the, um, how, how the company reacts to things and how the, com- the employees they get all their modeling from us. So if we say, we don't care, ship it, that's what they ordered, then, then everybody who works for us is going to get that attitude and that sure. culture built up. And before you know it, when the company gets to a certain size and you're not necessarily in the business every day, right. and then you hear about things that are happening in your business from your customers, you don't ever want to hear from a customer, oh, geez, I can't believe you shipped me a 1,000 cases of bath bombs. When you know darn well... We right. can never use that many. Exactly. You don't want that reputation to be out there that's something that you're not proud of. And it kind of goes back to, would my parents be proud of this? You know, am I, am I walking the walk and, and talking the talk at the same time? When I go out and I'm in the stores with customers, I want to be proud of what they are going to say to me and, and anticipating how the brand responds to what they need. Absolutely. And that is 100% controlled from the top. You know, if we, as leaders of the company, do not act in a way that is representative of the brand, the brand will never strive and succeed in the way that we have dreamed it to. Well, it'll be a watered. It'll be a watered down brand. It'll be just a, a me too company, and and that's what you're not. I, I know that's not what you're you're about, and that's not what the big picture is. You know, it's really interesting about that because even we have customers that say, hey, can you make this or make that? I saw so-and-so making this. Can you make me one? And so I am not interested in copying other people's ideas. I'm not interested in knocking someone off. Right. I'm not interested in bastardizing my own brand. Sure. I want it to be something that every day when we see it out on the store shelves, not only are we proud of it ourselves, but the, the customers who buy it know that it is what it says it is and that they even get a feeling for the company's integrity when it's on the shelf. And what's interesting about our company in general 
is I joke around with everyone who works for me, everyone's in charge of quality. The, the shipping guy has the right to refuse any order, meaning he does not have to ship it out if there's something wrong with it. If he can detect, hey, the label's messed up, the color's wrong, it says pomegranate, but shoot, it's yellow. There's no yellow pomegranate. Right. You know, whatever it happens to be, every person is responsible for quality so that if it gets out to a store and, you know, David buys it, he doesn't have to worry about the label being incorrect. So every, you know, we've got 25 people looking at it from beginning to end to make sure that it goes out correctly. Now, are there things that slip through? Absolutely. Yeah, but right. we, you know, take it back, we correct it, and we always use it as a learning opportunity because there's so much coaching that can happen from a mistake as we started the whole conversation. Our best aha moments are when things got completely screwed up. And you think, how did this happen? Well, so-and-so is out sick, and this person did this job, and they don't normally do that job. You know, there's like 1,400 reasons of how things can go wrong, but it's recognizing that we're all human beings, mistakes are going to happen, and the one thing that we don't allow at our company is finger-pointing. It's like, this: we're all responsible. It's not so-and-so's job or so-and-so's job. It's everyone's job. And I think when you have that kind of a culture... Everyone wants to help everyone succeed. Yeah, We're not a in a tear-down culture. We're in a yeah, build-up culture. It's a personal responsibility part of it too, and and, and I and I love that because it's, um, it, but but it's personal responsibility that benefits the company. No one else is, like you said from the beginning. It, it's you don't have a bunch of titles. Um, no one's no one's going to pull rank. Um, you've got everybody that ship is moving or everyone's rowing in the right the same direction, if you will. Um, and everyone understands that you know this is this is part of your culture. Now let me ask you with that, Deborah, which is interesting because I'm I'm fascinated with this. How do you communicate that with your staff? Is it just is it individual one on one? Are you pumping this through your, um, you know, your kind of your, your individual employees? How do you get that across to everybody so they really know that this isn't just some tagline that Deborah Myers came up with? This is really what you believe in. You know what's interesting about that question is it kind of takes me back to we have a young shipping manager and. Uh, he and I were just, we were working late one day, and I was actually back there helping him. And he said, you know what, Mrs. Myers, the reason I love working here is because from the top to the bottom, from the bottom to the top, we really all work together to get it done. Right. And what's really interesting, he said, you know, the very first day I started here, he said, I saw your husband, who I didn't know was your husband at the time, taking out the trash. And one of the other young men said, oh, that's Rob Myers. And he's like, that's Deborah's boss slash husband. He's like, why is he taking out the trash? He's like, because we all do everything. Exactly. And, you know, what's interesting is, yes, I run the company. And, yes, I am very 100% in charge of the strategic growth and the vision and the creativity of the company. But when push comes to shove, I know how to make a bath bomb. I know how to make salt. I can make bubble bath. They know that we don't just run the company. We actually know how to do things in the company. And I think because of that, um, there's a lot more, not just respect, but there's also um, just this willingness to get it done. 
and that goes beyond a level of respect. It's almost like a, a, a family culture where everyone, we're all part of each other in some way. And well, it's, it's, it's really interesting from that aspect. Yeah, and it's and from from the way you're describing it is it's it's not some tagline or mantra. Your employees are seeing it, and and when they see it, it it changes that that whole perception. It's kind of like this guy's not. It's not beneath um, your husband to go out and take out the trash. It's not beneath you to go out there and help in shipping if that's what is necessary. Those are the kind of things that make people go. You know what? We're all in this together. That's right. These aren't people. You guys are not up sitting in your uh, the corporate office, just kind of like you know phasing down a memo. You're out there on the front lines doing whatever is necessary. Yeah, and you know what's interesting too about that is you know a lot of times you know I'll be like, man. I'm, I'm supposedly the CEO of this company. Why am I back in shipping today? <laughs> and it's really funny because I say that is the most ridiculous thing ever to say right. because how awesome is it that we're so busy that we need 10 people in shipping? Good point. You know, it's, it's quite the opposite of why the heck am I back in shipping? It's, <laughs> well, we got how many pallets to get out? Heck yeah, I'm back there. You know, it's like exactly. you're, you're part of the excitement of getting stuff out the door. That's and right. I think it's just your mindset of, you know, how you approach things. And that is a, it, you know, how stress is contagious. Well, enthusiasm is equally as contagious. And the one thing that we try to stress at our company is, come on, people, this is just bubble bath. Let's have fun. Let's get it done. I said, my finger's not on the button, to, you know, the red button on a nuke. <laughs> I'm not curing cancer. I, I'm not That's a brain right. surgeon. Let's That's just right. be real. Let's yep. just, you know, let's just take it down a notch. If it doesn't get out today, it'll get out tomorrow. It's not the That's end right. of the world. That's right. Goodness. But that so all comes from the top. Yep, you got it. Well, we've got about four minutes left in this segment. I wanted to make sure that, if nothing else, I want to make sure we chat a little bit about your your previous uh, gigs and some of the consulting work that you've been doing. You had a background mm-hmm. with uh, international paper. Tell us a little bit about about that. Well, what's interesting is um, I, first of all, I love paper. I love packaging of all kinds. It's like my weakness. That's how I even probably got into what I'm doing now. But um, I was really fortunate to work on a lot of, in the beginning, probably more mundane projects and account management and things like that, just calling on paper distribution, um, some magazines, some publishers, things like that. But then as I grew within the company, and certainly as my knowledge grew, and then my bosses saw that I just had a passion for packaging, I started working on a lot of more more, uh, complex project management in terms of, you know, getting a product to market. So if you were... um, you know, Neiman Marcus, for example, and you had a custom XYZ product, you needed a box for it, you know, we would help you figure out what does the box look like, you know, what does it need to, you know, is it four-color process, is it foil, is it a rigid setup box, you know, all of those types of aspects. And then I would do more and more projects like that, and I actually ended up in the food and beverage business working for Zumbiel Packaging, which is a liquid paperboard packaging uh, company. And, you know, it was just really interesting because, you know, you're calling on companies like Coca-Cola and Hot Beverage and, you know, Ocean Spray and people like that and going, okay, the product I'm working on is going to launch in two to three years. 
how do I stay excited about that? Right. And how do I how do I endure four thousand twenty two meetings? Because that's what's going to take, and <laughs> exactly. five thousand reviews by meeting. Right. So it was really interesting because it taught you perspective and right. how to be patient with things that go to market, or by the way, don't go to market. You now, were you on, on the road that, nationally? Were you on the road with them, Deborah, or were you yes, just basically was, in a certain I was area? National, and actually with okay. international paper, I was international. So okay. yes, we would work on all different kind of projects. And what was interesting about that is you would have projects that you would work on that never went to market. Wow. You know, and you you would spend sixteen, eighteen, twenty four months on something that maybe two, three weeks before it's really going to be real, it gets cut. Oh. Because the demographic changes, or the right. the retail space changes, or the planogram changes at a grocery store. That's right. And you know those are really interesting things because that's what really teaches you how to look for opportunity gaps. And working with people like Coca Cola and um, those kind of companies that are very dynamic and looking for where is the next great thing. It that's teaches right. you how to look for opportunity gaps, and when you do that, that's that's what I've carried into my business, and I believe that's how we've grown to where we're at. Well, we and, been- and, and it's it's really good. I wanted to. We have got to take a quick break, but I really want to stay sure. with that because there's. You're you're right. I can totally see because I'm also obviously in the packaging world, and and I've seen. Um, I can see where this is kind of evolving. I mean, I can totally see, A, I can hear your passion, but I can totally see uh, what you've gained and pulled or gleaned, I should say, from your time with International Paper into, you know, starting your own business and, and how you interact with your employees and obviously how, how you interact with your, um, even your clients. So, um, folks, uh, stay, stay tuned. We're, we're talking with our friend Deborah Myers from Infusia. Um, stay tuned. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England. Along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week. And each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Tune in to the Dr. Gladney Radio Show every week for enlightening, provocative, real conversations, advice, and tips that you can use to improve your life. If you feel overwhelmed, confused, stressed, or lost in the cycle of life, this is the show for you. Dr. Gladney and her guests will help you repair, manage, and create an amazing life. No topic is off limits and is discussed with real solutions on our show. That's the Dr. Gladney Radio Show, live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 p.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in each week for Monica Phillips and powerful conversations. This is a thought-provoking show for business people, leaders, and entrepreneurs. We'll feature today's thought leaders and industry trendsetters from across several locations and industries. Give yourself permission to be inspired and live a fulfilling life. Be sure to listen to Powerful Conversations, live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Ditch the Box with David Marinak. If you would like more information about our program, send David an email to david at standuppouches.net. That's david at standuppouches.net. Now back to Ditch the Box. Welcome back to Ditch the Box. We're talking with our friend Deborah Myers from Infusia Blends for Body. So, Deborah, before we wrap up the time at International Paper, you know, one of the things I wanted to make sure that I asked was, you know, any valuable lessons that you learned with the International Paper back in your days that back in those days that have helped you with Infusia today? I used to say I was in the hero making business in my in my corporate life because really so much of what I did was for the higher ups. Right. People people want to to be recognized. And they definitely want to be able to take credit or put their name on something that's cool. So my takeaway really from that is help people shine. You know, I love to shine myself, but I also love helping other people shine. And one of the most valuable things that I've learned is if you can help your customer shine or your customer's customer, you're always going to shine yourself. Because at the end of the day, you know, they remember who helped them get to where they're at. And so one of the biggest takeaways for me was just help people shine. And, but I do that today. We always are constantly thinking about, and I challenge my people all the time, how can we help our customer win? So if, our, if my customer happens to be a, a retailer, how can I get them to shine with their customer base, with their current demographic? Or how can, I, how can this product outshine somebody else? How can I make it worth, you know, the extra money that I'm asking them to pay? And, you know, adding value in that way is really what's going to help you succeed. And I think the most interesting thing is, you know, it's the 10,000 hours. Is it Malcolm Gladwell? or? Oh, I'm yeah, sure right. Who, Malcolm Gladwell, you, sure. You know, Tipping so... Point. You know, it's only taken me 10 years to be an overnight success. Right. You know, I've only bled, you know, my my blood, sweat, tears. <laughs> I know. You know, pining away yep. to get to where I am now. 
where I go, you know, people say, gosh, Deborah, I see your stuff everywhere. It's so great. And it's like, yeah, that's true. But it's only taken me this long to get this far. And it's so, um, the part about corporate America that I really loved the most was being on teams that, you know, really got it. And what I mean by that is, hey, Together, we do all achieve more. That's that silly, you know, Zig Ziglar thing. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, you know, it's, it's, there's like all these cliches. There's no I in team. And guess right. what? There's, there could be 25 I's in that team. So you have to figure out how each I is going to help the team. And it's kind of like the baseball players, you know. It, they might be a baseball team, but actually they're a group of guys who are the best in, in the one thing that they do whether they be a pitcher, catcher, you know, you name it. And that's how corporate teams are. Very rarely do you have slackers on the team. They're usually the best at whatever it is they're doing, and they happen to be on that team. So that's one of the things that I loved about corporate America in general is the ability to work with teams, but then also how to get your ideas heard. And actually, some of the the things that you think are great ideas can be completely lame ideas when you look back five years, you know, and go, oh, my gosh, that was the silliest idea. Right. But at the time, you were super passionate about it. And working, Which, with, uh, working with teams, you have to not only learn how to get your own ideas heard, but you have to learn how to appreciate the other people's ideas. And well, how you can said, my idea dovetail with your idea, David, so that we can get this thing to market? Yeah, and, and you know, and you said something even in your bio, and you, you just brought it up recently. If you help somebody either shine or get their ideas heard or or help them in look good or become a hero, like you mentioned, um, you know, that's when you in turn can get your ideas heard and be able to kind of, you know, corroborate with, with other people. And, and I mean, you learned that early on and I don't think you really kind of just like we all don't, it takes us 10 years to start to look back and connect the dots, if you will. But, um, you know, I think you learned that early on if, Hey, wait a minute, if I help Joe over here as, as we're building and working on this project together, then in turn, what I need, you know, this, and he'll help me. And that's, that's kind of how it works together. It's not a bunch of individuals, um, per se, that are just out for themselves. It's, it's, it's really a, a team approach. You know, what's interesting, too, about corporate America is that it does teach you also, if you're savvy enough, you have to be open to a lot of these things, but how to work with the takers in life. Right. And there are people who are takers, and no matter how, how much you help them, they're going to say, thank you very much, David, yep. I'll take another, yep. and then they're going <laughs> to run you into the ground. Oh, yeah. So how, you know, how can you work with the takers, but without getting taken yourself? Right. And a lot of our customers are that way. You know, if you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. So how do you work with them in a way that it's a win-win? But really, right. it's almost not ever a win for you if it's truly a win for them, and vice versa. But how is it palatable for both parties? And because sometimes you're going to give things and not get what you expect in return, and vice versa. But it's really about the overall arching relationship, and hopefully I give David this today, and then tomorrow he remembers that I did that, and he won't cut me to the bone next time. He'll, he'll let right. me have an extra you know, percentage and margin. 
But you're so, but you're so true. There are professional takers out there that that really and truly just think that you can just kind of take take take. But um, I think the the world has shrunk a little bit, and I don't know whether it's the onset or the or the you know the internet and and social media or whatever. But you know, there's something about eventually. You know, in the old days, we didn't have the internet. You and I are both of the same age, and we both uh, remember the days of the rotary phone and one phone in the house or whatever it may be. The point I'm getting at is, it was easier back in the old days to kind of stiff somebody and just be a professional taker. But nowadays, where people can communicate socially, people can communicate um, through email and and not have to literally pick up the phone, and you can find out, hey, wait a minute, you may want to think twice about you know this particular situation or this particular person or whatever, and and, and let's hope that um, that's had a positive effect on because I'm not seeing it quite as often. Yes, there's always going to be professional takers out there, but. Uh, I think we've got a little bit more of a backbone now to say, no, nah, I'm not going to run you 5,000 bags for nothing. Uh, I'm, <laughs> right. I'm, I'm going to charge you for them because I'm being charged. Now, I'll help you if you let me know how we help each other and maybe work together on this. But no, there's nothing for free. So it's really interesting. Well, you know, I, I think understanding the true costs of things, certainly when right. you're a business owner or even a business manager within a corporation, you start getting exposed, you know, to the P&Ls and understanding how much things really cost. And, oh, by the way, how much our people cost. Right. The, the something for nothing, that gets real old real quick. And it's oh, yeah. really interesting because I find some of the larger corporations are more apt to ask for that than the smaller ones. Where this, a lot of the small companies I deal with, they, they're they just looking for any kind of help they can get to be sure. competitive with the right. large guys. Right. Whereas the large guys are like, hey, you want to work with me? Then you're going to give me free fill and you're going to give, you know, I need six of each SKU and I need it for 45 stores and I need it, you know, in 30 days. Wow. It's just like, I'm saying, what? You know, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a little bit different conversation. But I think, too, having the ability to say no is super important because sometimes, you know, you can grow yourself into bankruptcy if you're not careful by saying yes to the wrong deals and also, you know, by saying yes to the wrong product mix for your own company. So understanding truly where your own strengths are and certainly your weaknesses and being okay with that as a brand is so important, which, you know, one of the things that's interesting about I'm using a a flexible bag for a product that we make that used to be in paper. And it was in paper for the longest time. Uh, and the whole industry was there in paper. But once, yep. you, once you went to the bag, it was like, well, of course this makes sense in a bag. And it was really interesting because that product has done so well. And I love the product. And it's it's a very beautiful product. And we're able, able graphically to say everything we need to say yeah, tell your in story a, in, in yeah. a nice way right and it's great and it's so often too especially when we're talking about packaging in general i mean i i just was talking with a a colleague a little while ago and you know packaging is the voice 
of your brand. And so often, uh, and I don't care whether it's flexible packaging, which is our world, or the packaging that you were very familiar with back in the days with international paper, but the point is, is that it's the voice of your brand. And, and, and I don't understand why so many companies will spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on making the best rice pilaf or a granola mix or um, a bath salt or bath, whatever what the point is. And then They'll go, well, I don't know, stick that in a box, stick it in a, I don't know, how are you going to package it? I, I never, never, and they'll, they'll get to the very end of all this, Deborah, and they'll go, I don't know, put it in a box and stick a label on it. It's like, oh, so they go 85, 90% of the way, and then they just think, well, packaging doesn't really do anything, but no, it's a big deal. You know, what's interesting about the package, and I teach a packaging class at a local university here and I say what people don't understand who aren't in packaging is that 90% of the buying decision is made within two to three seconds That's it. by the package. That's right. So if I do not want to pick up and interact with the package, That's right. it's not going to happen. So you have to decide if you are a retail product and you're on the shelf and, oh, by the way, you don't have people fawning all over the shelf to help the customers, which is really the case these days, your package has to be able to educate and wow me in a way yep. that sells it without me investing too much time because I only am going to give you two to three seconds max, and that's only if I'm not texting someone because then I'm right. giving you no time. Well, if like I'm you were just saying, at the time, I'm going to walk right past you. That's right. But like you were just saying with your flexible package that you that you had designed, you know, one of the things that's so cool is that you were able to kind of get everything that you wanted to say on that package and do it in a way that um, you know that's your representative. You know, instead of Deborah Meyer standing there saying, "Hey, this product is so great and it's wonderful and it's going to make your skin look awesome," um, you can't do that. You need your packaging to do that. You can't humanly be at every store and every retailer throughout the world. So, and it's just mind-boggling to me um, how many people just kind of do it at the last minute and they wonder why their product failed on the on the retail store shelf. You know, the other kind of component to this is changes in packaging in terms of just because a package worked for some time doesn't right. mean that package will work for all time. Right. And one of the things that I've been very blessed with is just knowing that. And it's okay to change the package or it is okay certainly to change the printing on the package, the color of the package, the type of package. And people get so hung up on, well, that's going to change my brand or this is going to do this. It's like if your brand is strong enough, certainly certainly if the product has the integrity, it can withstand a package change. Because you have to stay relevant in the marketplace. And for me, I say if we're not changing, we're dying. And I'm not ready to die yet. My brain no. is still very young, we're innovative, <laughs> we're constantly changing, yeah. and I think that's the, the, one of the key takeaways from people that need, need to understand in packaging in general is it's okay to change. In fact, it's great to change, and packaging is one of the simplest things to change <laughs> instead of, I got to reformulate this whole darn product. It's like, no, Absolutely. just change the package. <laughs> exactly. So let's stay with that a little bit because I think it's really important because it ties into Infusia Blends for Bodies. So 
tell us a little bit about, you know, from the early days, how many products did you start out with and how has this company evolved? Because I love the message, if you're going to dream, dream big and go for it. So tell us how you kind of really broke out and got into that world and of, of doing your own thing. Well, I... I mean, I was, I had been in cosmetics and some kind of world like that forever. I mean, I went to cosmetology school when I was in high school and I worked in fragrance and cosmetics and all of that. And actually, while I was in that business, my boss at the time said, you know, you love paper so much, you should really go into paper. And that's how I even got into paper because I was in cosmetics, but I loved the, I was in charge of the packaging. So I spent so much time with the paper reps. He's like, I, you're doing yourself a disservice by being here. You need to <laughs> you need to go into paper. So that's kind of how I started that aspect. But right. I always had cosmetics in my background, and I always loved it. And when I was, gosh, in my late 20s, I had developed a skin condition just from stress. And right. I started just making my own stuff and, you know, giving it away, using it. The same thing that a lot of people do. And when I met my husband, he was like, okay, yeah, we're not going to make and give everything away. Right. And I said, well, all my money is in handbags and shoes, dude. I don't have any money to like, make a company here. <laughs> That's right. And so he invested in me and was really interesting because in the beginning, like most companies, you don't know what you want to be when you grow up. Right. Like most people, right? Sure. Um, and so I sold to friends and I sold at flea markets and craft shows and it didn't take long. And I was like, okay, this craft show gypsy thing is not going to work. I need to think bigger. So I started thinking about what would it take to get into retail space? What kind of retailers do I want to sell to? What does that look like? And the most interesting thing was, is we had this crazy recession that happened, and I don't know if you remember it, yeah, 2008, oh yeah. 2009, oh yeah. sure do. <laughs> this, this crazy recession happened, and I was like, oh my goodness, people aren't going to Neiman Marcus or Nordstrom anymore, where are they going? So I decided that I was going to focus on the natural grocery channel, and that's where I have stayed and flourished, and I would not ever dream of going anywhere else. So we sell to people like Whole Foods and Earth Fair and um, Market oh, Street, yeah. companies like that, and HEV, people who are natural grocery stores. And that's, that's so how cool. that's how we sell. And, and you had always, and again, one of your, one of your, um, you had talked about, um, you know, having affordable luxuries, and mm-hmm. that fits so perfectly with with this philosophy, and and it it really ties right in. I could see this natural tie-in with the natural stores like that. I mean, that's brilliant. Well, it was really interesting because no matter what, people have to go to the grocery store. They may still steer clear of the mall or their favorite boutique, but they're going to go to the grocery store. And it kind of became one of these things of, hey, what else can I put in my cart that my husband's not going to get upset over or that I can afford just a little treat for myself? And that was how the whole affordable luxuries thing came about. And everything that we do today is, does it fit in the space where we sell? We use predominantly food grade and candy packaging for our packaging. And because of that, we naturally fit in the grocery space. And we try to make sure that we are keeping on trend with what's happening in the grocery space. So we're really um, tied in with our customers and they tell us, hey, we're celebrating Italy this month or, hey, we're celebrating chocolate or, you know. 
and we'll make a chocolate bath bomb or, you know, just kind of all this crazy stuff, but it really ties in with the grocery space. And yeah, we are 100% it's such a brilliant move. It's space. brilliant. I, I, I mean, and again, a lot of companies will go the complete polar opposite and, and, and good for you guys because you really went the opposite direction and said, you know what, we're, this is where we fit. Um, the affordable luxuries is a, is, a, is, is a really good rallying point, if you will. And, and that's, that's so much of your culture. And, and I, I mean, I just think it shows in everything that you guys do. It's been really fun because I spend a ton of time in the grocery stores, and it's really funny. I have a uniform. It's, you know, jeans, tennis shoes, and an infusion T-shirt of some kind. <laughs> um, because a lot of times when I'm in the grocery stores, uh, you know, I'm on my hands and knees dusting things, and, you know, right. I get down there right. with everybody else making it happen. But what's really fun about being in the grocery store is seeing how, really the moms, but you some right. dads, but how the moms and the kids interact with the product. And so many kids love bath bombs, too. And I have seen moms bribe their kids with bath bombs. You know, if you're good, then well, I'll let you come pick out whatever bath bomb you want. You know, so that's a real fun thing. And I've witnessed oh, yeah. that, and it's really fun to be in that space. I- I have a 17-year-old, which I totally can relate. My wife and daughter have had those exact conversations, so you were spot on. <laughs> so let's talk marketing a little bit. What, you know, what are you doing and how are you marketing your products now? I know they're, you're coming up with new ideas and new products and things. Are you, are you doing a lot of online advertising, social media? What are you guys doing to kind of get the word out? You know, we do um, some advertorial. We do some online stuff for sure. Um, but honestly, we are now to a point in our company where I have been seeking outside counsel for this very question because, you know, I've become a very strong retail brand where we're right. at based in Texas and certainly all the states that touch us. Um, but, you know, when you want to expand beyond that, what does it look like? What's it feel like? What's the story? And what's, I think, really important for companies and entrepreneurs to understand is, you, it's not, it's not overly hard to get your company, say, to a million dollars. That's difficult for sure. Right. But what, what if you want to be five million, ten million, a hundred million? You know, more than likely you have a marketing team or you have an agency that you're working with to help craft this message. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't understand that you, you need to be mature enough in your own leadership and certainly in your own skill set to know that just because you got the company to where it's at now doesn't mean you can grow the company to 10 times where it needs to be. Right. And so I'm kind of mature enough in where I'm at in the company and where we are to go, you know what, it's time to get some outside counsel to figure out what kind of social media presence do we have? Well, and, you know, what's being said about us? What should be right. being said about us? Do we need right. to pay somebody for that? What's that look like? How much it costs? Is it a percent of revenue? You know, asking all those kind of questions that I would have asked as a business manager at any major corporation to the, quote, unquote, vice president of marketing or Absolutely. marketing manager. You know, right. those are the questions I'm asking myself. And then it's like, okay, if I can't answer those questions, I need to be mature enough to go, you know what? It's time to get outside help on this. Either I hire a marketing manager or I just hire an agency or something like that to, to, to get us you. to the next level. Absolutely. 
Well, in, in a couple of minutes that we've got left, I, I love to ask some of these these final questions. I mean, where do you see Infusia um, in the next three to five years if you were looking out into your crystal ball, if you will? I'd like to be a strong player east of the Rockies. So one okay. of the things that we've really done is control our growth and decided where we want to be and where we don't want to be. And there, we have quite a bit of competition west of the Rockies and, and good competitors. And they're in California and they're doing a great job. And you know what? We've decided, let them have that. Yep. Let them muddy themselves. And they yep. can compete against each other. I don't even need to go there. I want to be a strong, <laughs> nice brand east of the Rockies. You know, go up to um, certainly the mid-Atlantic, northeast. Yep. Yep. You know, all of those areas, because right now we're in the southwest and the southern region, and trying to really kind of grow beyond there and be a nice, strong player in those areas. And then decide, hey, does it make sense for us to be a national company or not? And I'm okay with growing organically and con- in a controlled way, because I just see so many people grow too fast and then their quality stinks, and then they're oh, out yeah. of business. And, and for what? So I can yeah. say, you know, the company is $50 million versus thirty-five. It doesn't, well, you know, it doesn't Yeah, matter. exactly. And everybody hates each other. And right. there's, yeah. you know, and it's kind of like the culture with what got you there is destroyed. And, you know, I, I normally ask one of these final questions, you know, what are some of the things that you're most proud of? But I'm, I'm just going to jump in here. I, I'll tell you, I, it, it, it's so refreshing to talk with, a, a friend like you, and to really and truly kind of, you're passionate, you really and truly believe in what you're doing. Um, you, I could tell that you truly care about the people that work for you and with you. Um, it's just really refreshing because you're you're building something that is going to, if you wanted it to, outlive you. And, you know, it's that kind of philosophy, Deborah, that just, you know, that's where the great companies are built. Um you know, cutting cutting corners and and browbeating and beating everybody uh, to a pulp to get the last or squeeze the last nickel um, is is going to put a company out of business uh, in the long run. But you have this this innate ability to kind of nurture. You're very nurturing, and I and I can and I can hear that in your in your in, in who you are, and and it's going to pay huge dividends for you. I totally see it. Well, I appreciate that, and and I love being nurturing. But one of the things, you know, one of our company's missions, people say, oh, what's your mission? What's this? What's that? Right. You know, my mission is to create jobs and have people work in a place that is nurturing. Right. And that is our our mission statement. I want to, I don't want to, you know, people say, why don't you go on Shark Tank? It's like, the first thing they would, Mr. Wonderful would do is ship everything to China. Yeah, exactly. I have all my people. No I, way. You know, it's like, I, I, don't, I don't need all that. I just, well, I want to have a place that's um, where people want their friends to come work because it's a totally yep. cool place to work. You got it. And I want you to come back and fill us in from time to time on your successes and on your failures, because we both know that that's what helps shape us for who we are. Would you do that? Uh, My pleasure. Absolutely. Good. I'd like to thank you again, Deborah Myers, for joining us. I hope you'll come back again and fill us in. Folks, if you want to learn more about Infusia, they're in the Woodlands in Texas, Texas, 281-681-0732. And their website is Infusia, E-N-F-U-S-I-A dot com. I'd like to thank my producer, Jamie Berling, executive producer, Winston Winnie Price, and you for listening. 
Until next time, remember, it's your product, folks. Package it properly. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Ditch the Box. We're live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please join David Marinak for another great show next week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america variety channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericavariety.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.